everybody. Welcome to episode 25. It's fall field test time. It feels like we just wrapped up our last field test, but we're heading to another one. And this time around, it's trail bikes and enduro bikes, new exciting models. Uh, and we're going to talk all about it today. I'm your host, Mike Levy, as usual. We got Brian Park again today. Brian, you haven't been here for a while. I'm not going to say it's been nice, but... That hurts my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, you're the voice of reason, Brian. I know how much you hate that. Ah, reason. Boring. <laughs> we also have Casimir. Casimir, how's it going? Do you ride bikes? Yep, I did. It's going well. I bet you rode a lot of bikes on the weekend. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, it was nice-ish. Yeah. And as always, James is here to read the news. But first, I'm going to ask James, James, if you could ride any mountain bike ever, what mountain bike would it be? Um, Probably the Honda. Honda downhill bike. I know it's probably what most My. people would say, but like, come on, like, it's probably the bike that the fewest people have ever ridden. So you want to be part of that exclusive club, right? 100%. That was actually my answer as well. And it makes complete sense. I mostly want to try the show us suspension. I think that stuff would I know, be Levy, how much you like gearbox design. So it makes so much sense. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm, I'm gearbox curious. Brian, what would you ride? Mountain cycle San Andreas. Because I wanted one so bad, and in hindsight, they're obviously so terrible. But I want to, yeah, my sort of teenage self needs to ride a mountain cycle San Andreas. I've never ridden one. Right. Inverted fork with the disc brakes. Yeah, all the bad, like, yeah, yeah. Whichever gray market one you could get from the back of mountain bike action for the cheapest price. Right. Yeah, you'd like do all your little math and your spreadsheet about how many lawns you had to mow or whatever, and then then you could totally buy a mountain cycle sand dress, and I never did. I think I'm going to change my answer. If I could go back, it would be, I had a Super 8, a Santa Cruz Super 8, second gen with the White Brothers fork and Hayes brakes, and I remember, I mean, at the time, that was like an incredible dream bike. I would just, for some perspective now, I'd like to go back and try it again. Casimir, what would you pick? Uh, I was going to say the Honda, so I'll change mine also. Maybe that uh, Cannondale Fulcrum. Ooh. I don't want, is that like that? The two, did that have two chains? Or which was the one that two chains? Well, there was all sorts. There's all sorts. One of those weird old Cannondales that like Missy and, uh, and Cedric were on. So the Gemini had two shocks. The Fulcrum had three chains and a yeah. that shaft drive thing, the didn't sh- it? Yeah, I think. The, then. And what was probably the world's stiffest fork. That moto fork with uh-huh. the square stanchion tubes that rolled in and out. Crazy. Yeah, like it almost looks like an e-bike now. Like, yeah. Yeah, it had three chains, got one on the non-drive side. So yeah, I'd go with that one. I think that'd be a thing. would be crazy to see what it does today. Probably nothing good. No, yeah. I don't what know. Was, it'd be amazing. Hey, what but. was the name of that? What was the name of that? The Carbon, it was like mid-90s. It was like a, a downhill bike. And the guy realized that his linkage was the same eye to eye as his shock so he just put a second shock on his bike what carpeel? was that it wasn't carpeel but you think that that's why they got there too probably shit what was it i'll figure it out by the end of the yeah podcast. it's not kestrel oh the Did rubicon it? that thing, that was, thing cool. was pretty cool that thing With the like twin the little fox air shocks yeah darren stockton rode that thing mm-hmm. but i don't yeah. know if that's one you're talking about Brian. no i'll figure sure. it out yeah. yeah yeah weird old bikes would be pretty fun like that We'll, we'll probably maybe talk about it in the news, but there was that race recently down in Australia where it was a vintage downhill bike race and your bike had to be a certain amount of years old. It looked so fun. 
I really like that concept. All the 35 plus year old mountain bikers everywhere were just dorking out over that. Yeah. There's some old giants in there. It was, it looked like a good time. Those weren't the good old days, Kaz. (laughs) No, they weren't. I know, but it's fun to ride old junky stuff, but yeah. So apparently I'm in trouble, everybody. Last week I started the podcast by uh, calling you all pinkers, which I mean, I like it. (laughs) I identify as a pinker. Kaz, do you identify as a pinker? I do not identify as a pinker. It sounds like a weird political group. I don't want any part of it. (laughs) Okay, well, I I am definitely a pinker through and through, but we have this silly rule. I'm not allowed to call you guys pinkers. (laughs) So as punishment, I have to do an ad read. Oh boy, this ad read. It's from... Brian, what is this from? <laughs> it's from that company we see at every trade show that has the weird motorcycle electric bikes. We tried to find the best worst one with the best worst ad copy. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm just going to dive right into it here. Uh, okay. Moto, Moto Perilla is pleased to introduce soon new products resulting from years of experimentation. Carbon and Trillix are two unique products marked by a strong personality and a unique design defined by the Moto Perilla desire to create vehicles in the purest Italian style. Carbon is, up to the present, one of the most visualized and desired worldwide electric vehicle representing the concept of a dream bike. That's capital dream bike, by the way. Trillix has triggered the press interest for the innovative... The words aren't right. (laughs) Trillix has triggered the press interest for the innovation introduced in the foldable e-bike industry as well as for the intention to details. Trillix is not just another foldable e-bike. Oh, no. But a life philosophy... A, a revela- revelationary idea to identify with. <laughs> I'm sorry, I want one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a life philosophy. The e-bike, folding e-bike market. It's a life philosophy. You did, you did really I feel well. Like the, well, the words, the words were out of order. I, it's obviously a, tra- a Google translation <laughs> yeah. of some sort. The words weren't in right order, but Th- this is the punishment. This is, yeah, that's good. This it was company, a just punishment. Yeah, this company is the one that has, they've got this like electric motorcycle e-bike looking thing. And we see it at every trade show, and it's got this massive aluminum swing arm on this weird carbon fiber thing. And the massive aluminum swing arm has a giant word written on the side, carbon. Yeah. (laughs) I always giggle about it every time I see it. It's in a brake booth, isn't it? It's Uh, in a bunch of things, yeah. Yeah, it actually does look really neat, but it's been at trade shows since many, many years now. I think, um, James, you, you included it in one of the roundups of worst marketing videos of all time or weirdest mm-hmm. marketing videos of all time. Dude has an amazing mustache, no helmet, just like trundling along in the forest. And it basically has that, that ad read behind it. I'll, I'll include it in the article for this podcast, just <laughs> okay. so everybody listening can click on it and see what the yeah. hell we're talking about. Yeah. All right, James, it's news time. Um, well, let's start with the propane spin drift then. And that was released today. Um, so this bike features the latest generation of Propane's Proten system, which is their own virtual pivot design. Um, we saw this design on the Tai earlier this year, and they've now put it onto the spin drift as well. And the main change is that that brings the shock from behind the seat tube um, to in front of it, the, to into the front triangle. Uh, also new is you can now have a, a carbon option, and you can have it in any wheel size combination you fancy too. Um, so this bike has got 180 millimeters of rear travel. There's a version with 190 millimeter Zeb fork, um, and you can even put a dual crown fork on it too. 
Um, following on from our chat last week, this kind of long travel, free ride, park bike thing. Um, this is another reason people just don't seem to be buying downhill bikes at the moment. Any wheel size combination, James? Anywhere, yeah. 27, 27, 29, 29, 29, 27. Can't maybe put a fancy. 27 on the front? I mean, uh, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, as long as you put a 27 in the back, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about 26, guys? Can I put 26 on never the back? I never heard of it. Yeah. What's that? Are, is bikes like this, are they why we're not seeing so many downhill bikes? Yeah, I mean, bikes like this, are they do pose a pretty good argument that you don't need a downhill bike. And this one's actually pretty pedalable, even though it has 180 millimeters of travel. I got a. I've got one day riding on it so far. It just showed up. But uh, yeah, it, it surprised me by being way more manageable than I thought so far. Why do you think that is, Kaz? Is it good suspension performance or is it geometry, mm-hmm. weight? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I think it's a mix. I mean, it's got that steep C-tube angle. The suspension design, their little virtual pivot thing seems pretty efficient so far. Um, and yeah, it's not very heavy either. I haven't weighed it yet, but I'd say it's in the lower 30s. Um, so yeah, there's a couple little things that we'll, that I need to kind of dive into more. But overall, it's going to be interesting to compare. Tell me about that 190 millimeter Zeb. Do you remember like a boxer 200 millimeters just got two crowns? Yeah, the How, one I, it, the one I have has a 180 Zeb, but oh, okay, um, right. yeah, but still that's a long travel fork. Like it's yeah. Does it feel as stiff as a 36 or uh, anything? It's definitely else? as stiff as a 36. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been riding the Zeb on lots of bikes these days. It's kind of, it's funny how bikes change and all of a sudden the Zeb and the 38 feel pretty normal. Yeah. Now, now the, you know, the 36 and the, uh, Lyric are kind of for smaller travel bikes. You can almost categorize bikes by the fork that goes on it now. Yeah. I guess what I meant was more like, can you feel a difference? Oh, between this and a, and the 36? Yeah. 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 Okay. Despite, you know, being everyone comments that you're just 155 pounds and right. we need I know. 300 yes. people. I need to more hamburgers or something but yeah either way this will be an interesting bike we'll talk about this because it's going to be an rf field test which we'll talk about pretty soon too so moving on we spotted a couple of new bikes floating around this week uh, the first one came from norco um looks to be an aluminium high pivot bike um, that was at the paris expo and was actually posted on one of their instagram pages um, so this is different to the carbon norco we spotted earlier this year um, that one at Crankworks had a horizontally aligned shock, but on this one, it's vertically. Um, whatever the difference, I think they'll be pretty similar in intention. Um, that one obviously was kind of riding Mount 7 Psychosis course. This one we spotted had a 38 on the front. So again, probably sort of pretty gravity fed kind of bike. Either way, looks like we're not going to have to wait too long to find out. Um, we reached out to Norco and all they would say to us is uh, Augment Legend October 2020. Um, so hopefully we'll find so out something cryptic. this so month. Cryptic. And then, <laughs> yeah, what what can they mean by Augment Legend? Any ideas? Secrets. Well, this is one of those bikes where, or one of those cases where I actually have this bike, but I can't talk about it because it is under embargo until October. So I can't tell you anything, but... But that's why I wrote about it, not Casimir. I don't know anything about it. (laughs) And that's why I can speculate wildly and have no guilt. I assume that the the carbon one is a racier one and the aluminum one is a smashier one. That would be the assumption. Um, I'm curious to see how they kind of differentiate the two. It's pretty rare for a brand to come out with two bikes in a similar space. Um, with two totally different designs. Like, I assume they're not going to have the same name. I assume they're not going to be that similar, but probably have similar travel. Probably have both have Zebs on the front or 38s on the front. That's weird. Yeah, I, I would predict one of them being their their racy thing and one of them being their park 
smashy, heavy hitting thing. I think that one in that Instagram post had a 38 on the front mm-hmm. and a big aluminum frame. and But not a VPS monocoque cross. Unfortunately, unfortunately not. Come on. Come on. Give me Norco. I want that with the Z1. Yeah. 2426 <laughs> wheel combo. Big aluminum monocoque cross section, and like it just every time a rock hits it, it just makes this incredible echoing noise. That's what we need. Um, the other new bike we spotted this week uh, was a Da Vinci Enduro bike uh, being ridden in Finale by Greg Callahan. Um, so, looking at uh, Da Vinci's website, it seems pretty obvious this is going to be the new Troy. Um, and on sort of the technical janky goat tracks of finale that sort of shorter travel bike that bridges that enduro trail boundary and was probably a pretty good choice levy can you give us some details yeah i've been riding it a little bit um pretty solid bike it's uh i have the ltd version with the 160 fork 140 rear end feels like a lot of trail bike to me um adjustable geometry as well and yeah is it much different than the one before we got head angle you got any details about it yeah, very different. It's much slacker, much longer. So the bike is 15 millimeters longer across the size range on reach. And I want to say it's a full degree slacker across the board as well. And then the one I have is that LTD model with the 164 instead of the 150. So then it's another half a degree slacker. Slacker. So the head angle on mine is 64. So it's a trail bike, they say, with a 64 degree head angle and a 164 and a 150 sorry 140 rear end so many numbers yeah that's cool yeah it sounds good yeah it sounds great it's a lot of trail bike Ugh, dude, who cares what it's called <laughs> <Whatever>. it's, it <laughs> could just be a cool bike yeah it is a cool bike i agree yeah and yeah. having a, like being up forked on there is is great i mean we liked it on the optic we liked it on the site you know mm-hmm. The final new bike this week came from Acto5 and a CNC'd version of their P-Train. So the P-Train was that half-and-half steel and aluminium mashup bike we saw with Reynolds tubing for the front triangle and a CNC'd 7075 aluminium rear triangle. Uh, This version is now fully CNC'd, so it takes the same techniques that we used to make the swing arm on the previous bike and applies that to the whole frame. Um, Construction-wise, it's pretty similar to a pole where the two halves are CNC'd separately and then bonded together. Um, For me, I think this could be the nicest-looking bike of the year. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm a fan of how it looks, too. Definitely very pretty. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Their other, their steel one is incredible. I'm I'm curious to see more people taking up this CNC um production kind of i really like the what's sort of at stake for making bikes this way because all of a sudden i i imagine a future where you don't necessarily need to ship a bike to manufacture it somewhere like if if you're whatever active you can have three i don't know you have a canadian machine shop that's that's approved to make your your bike and then they just download a bike and then press go. Like, I don't know. That to me would be so much cooler than having to, yeah, ship bikes all over the world rather than, you know, we've got the raw materials in different places. And I think there could be real advantages and not having to carry too much stock. You just have a bunch of aluminum, you know. You could get bike piracy. Exactly. I can't wait to download a bike. You wouldn't <laughs> download a car. I would definitely download a car. Exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, moving away from bikes, uh, we saw the Daysaver multi-tool this week. Uh, multi-tools aren't normally kind of front page news, I guess. Um, but this one's pretty cool. It has nine tools and weighs just 45 grams, which is about the same as two slices of bread. Um, it's basically like a hollowed out Allen key with a load of different heads that all fit inside it. And then when you have a mechanical issue, you take the right head out and fit it and use it as you would an Allen key. Um, it's definitely cool, but at 70 euros, um, probably going to be for sort of your XC weight weenies or danger home. Um, do you guys think you could be tempted for the weight savings at that price? That's pretty expensive for multi-tool. I don't know. I usually just buy a multi-tool, then keep it for like 10 years until I lose it and I get another one. So. Did they supply the the like two loaves of bread or two uh, slices of bread comparison? Because that's spectacular. Oh, no. That, I just Googled what weighs 50 grams and... <laughs> <laughs> they need that in their marketing copy yeah that doesn't make it seem really light <laughs> the article said uh, healthier bread might weigh more because there's more like oats in it or whatever <laughs> yeah but yeah like white white bread i guess <laughs> um either way that's been fully funded on kickstarter um so it should be a reality soon and um they're working on a more affordable version too hopefully so um if you like the idea it could be something in the pipeline uh, we'll move on to racing and um, the final round of the EWS. Um, the whole series seems to have passed in the blink of an eye. Um, Finale rounded it off in its usual position at the end of the year and Jesse Melamed and Morgan Shaw took the wins. Um, that's the first win for Morgan Shaw, so great result for her to finish the season strong. Uh, next up for racing, uh, Innsbruck uh, next week for crankworks novi mesto um this coming weekend for xc and then after that we're straight into world championships so all the racing's coming thick and fast at the moment does that mean does that mean that we there's no overall because there's an asterisk and they said there won't be an overall champion but do these points count towards next year like these the races are i assume jesse won on the men having won two races and yeah who, who would have taken the overall for the ladies that's a good question um, the fake overall because it's they're not doing a real one the best of two races race series <laughs> best of three races they did three uh, i lost track yeah. I only <laughs> there were a lot of races cast three yeah. is just how can you keep yeah. three races in your mind they all seem the same they all were in like the same place and i don't know what was the first race in Zermatt? oh yeah right and, they, they went, on, and, and yeah okay i remember now I, I guess morgan shaw took the overall for the women because um Obviously, Isabeau won the first one and didn't race the next two. Melanie won the second one. She raced the second one. She raced the second one. Oh, she one. did. Yeah, we should yeah, race the third one. Yeah. Part, yeah. Of me feels, part of me feels a little bad for Jesse. Like, I know it wasn't a normal year, but a championship season is what it is. And there's, there's going to be other years with tons of races and, you know, way down the line. And there's going to be years with less races. And, I mean... You know, not everybody could come this time around to the few events, but like Jesse was the best. And in my mind, he is the EWS champ and same with Morgan. And yeah, I, I uh, you know, I don't think there is an asterisk in my mind. I know he will consider it to have an asterisk. He, you know, he said in his interviews, like, yeah, some of the other fast guys weren't there, but they they could have been, you know, it would have been. They couldn't have been. Well, they could have. I mean, not really. Like, how do I you get there? I don't think they were allowed. No, you can't. They were they allowed. Probably... They would have just had to. There's plenty of Americans over the, over in Europe right now for for downhill racing. It just is a yeah, challenging. Yeah, I think you can't blame. Like, 
yeah, like Sam Hill, and it's such a pain in the ass for people to get out of the country. Like, it's a total. It's a totally a choice, though. Like pain mm-hmm. in the ass is true. Lots of challenges, but they could have been there. And I think, but yeah, you but you have like a kid, and you come home, and like yeah, no, your tone not, make it seem like you're blaming the athletes. But af- if you have a kid at home, and you have to go and like quarantine for two not. weeks. That sucks. They are for choosing sure. though. Yeah, it, yeah. All I'm saying is it is a choice, and you do have to be in it to win it. So I just I hope Jesse takes. Um, a lot of confidence from this season, and I think he should. He should take. He. I hope he's getting paid his win bonuses, and I hope that he's. Uh, he's. Yeah, I hope he puts that those wins on his mantle, and yeah, hell yeah, front center. I hope he's getting those win bonuses too. Fuck yeah. Um, speaking of Innsbruck, uh, we also got the news that Brooke McDonald is back racing um, about a year after breaking his back in Monson and at World Champs last year. Um, what a hero. Um, and it'll be great to see him back after a real tough uh, period, no doubt for him. That is great news. He won it the last time out, didn't he? Innsbruck, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like returning yeah. to where he last won, so pretty cool. Um, one more bit of racing news is that we've had the 2021 World Cup calendar. Um, it's going to be a slightly truncated season next year, which I guess makes sense because it's quite a risk for um, hosts to sort of organise a race. Um, it's going to be a six-round series for both XC and Downhill. Um, the big news is probably that Mons and Anne is missing for the first time ever, I think. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed um, this season can go ahead and we can get uh, back to some semblance of normality next year. I'm sorry, I've been gone for a couple of days here, but did they have any back-to-back or like the idea of the multiple race race weekends again? Oh, I was hoping they'd keep that. Yeah, I guess they're still unproven, aren't they? Like, it's going to take like this season to prove the concept. Bike and racing, then... just do them. It's bike racing. Like, we want to see more racing and we want people to race more and we're not going to get many. Just... Do double headers. Just do that. Yeah. I thought it was such a good, an interesting, innovative way to do it. I mean, I guess they can always tack those on pretty quickly, but yeah. So if maybe if something gets canceled early in the season, they can tack some on later. Uh, another cool bit of news from that announcement I saw was that um, Switzerland's Valley region is uh, hosting the World Champs in 2025. Um, and it looks like Champry is going to be back for a World Champs. Um, so Sand sick. Hill. Hell yeah. <laughs> My dog. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's going to be uh, something to look forward to for sure. Well, did Danny, did, oh yeah, Sam did. Did Sam win Champery? No. No, he did. Sure. Uh, he won, yeah. he won my heart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maddie won that year. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing then, uh, video of the week, uh, Dennis Ennison's right here. Um, Dennis Ennison, uh, BMX rider, um, but this is six and a half minutes of absolute insanity it's one of those bmx edits that makes me think sometimes mountain biking's a bit dorky um it was amazing absolutely like mind-blowing stuff definitely yeah it definitely makes some slope style stuff yeah makes you roll your eyes a little bit it's like holy shit he's doing it on a rigid bike toughen up boys All right, on that note, that was a lot of news. We got 27 yeah, minutes of news in there. Everybody caught up now. We're going to head on to questions. Our first one is from PB user uh, DCRAD69. 
he says, now that we're seeing companies put tools in the steer tube and mounts on the underside of top tube, uh, how do pink bike tech editors carry their shit for rides? How do you mount your stuff on the mounts on the underside of the top tube? He wants to know. Kaz, what do you take with you on a daily bike ride and how do you mount it? How do you carry it? Um, yeah, I don't carry a ton of stuff. Usually just a multi-tool pump and tube and tire lever. Um, I don't usually use those mounts because I'm on test bikes and swapping them out a lot, but my personal bike does have those mounts and I have one of those um, wolf tooth B-Rad adapter things. So that just kind of like holds your strap and tube on there. But that's usually pretty much it. A bunch of zip ties and that's kind of What bike all. is that on? I've got that on the Optic. Mm-hmm. Like my personal bike's an Optic, but a lot of companies have it now. I think transitions to, uh, yeah, lots of them. I just have a huge seat bag, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's really. got MPB yeah. truck nuts. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so much like Kaz, I'm always on a different test bike. So I don't, moving stuff is a pain in the ass. So I don't carry a ton of stuff, but I have a one-up pump that goes underneath the bottle cage. And in the handle is, I got some zip ties and crazy glue and plugs and some money and possibly some other things in there. And then I have a big old multi-tool. I have a park multi-tool. I, it's literally almost 20 years old, I think. And I put it in a bib pocket. And, uh, and it looks like it. It's like super huge and rusty and probably gives you tetanus if you ever fall on it. I can <laughs> picture it now. Fallen on it. I <laughs> yeah. have some park multi-tool shaped bruises on my back. Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic though. So yeah, yeah I, don't, uh, I don't use any of that integrated stuff. I don't use SWAT either. Like I got to specialize with the, a swat hole right now in the garage, but I have a tube strapped to the frame. Yeah, it should be noted yeah. that Levy's an idiot because swat yeah. is one of the best inventions ever. And if you don't use it, you're dumb. So but I don't want to dig down there and get the tube out and move it to another bike that I have to strap it to. Like it's you just put, on, tubes are cheap. You put one in there and you forget about it the whole I time. I only have one bike. tube. I don't want to <laughs> buy another one. <laughs> <laughs> They're $7, Kaz. That's not cheap. Yeah. I go for Bro- the fancy light tubes. They're even more expensive. Oh, fancy pants. Because they're never flat, so I just carry one for fun. Yeah. I definitely have been flatting. Man, I feel like tubes were $5 for like 20 years, and then yeah, and then the dam broke. Well, that's how, that's how bike shops would make, make some of their money. They would get your, you know, they buy the tubes on sale for like 70 cents for a pallet, mm-hmm. and then they would mm-hmm. sell them for five bucks. To be fair, like every tube you have to deal with is, a, is just a giant time black hole right because if you can't replace a tube then yeah uh jf94 question for all of us uh do you wear back protectors while trail riding he says i heard the ews requires that riders wear not only knee pads and a full face but also a back protector he's considering purchasing the poc vpd back protector for when he goes on trail rides he wants to know if it's overkill there's no such thing as overkill dude it's whatever you think you need and whatever's comfortable but kaz what do you think uh, yeah, I don't wear a back protector. I just don't like how they feel. They're hot, sweaty, uncomfortable. I've tried all of them. Um, I should probably wear them, but I don't. So I mean, choice. if just, anybody here should wear one, it would be Mike Casimir. No, my back's reinforced with strong things in it. It's stronger than most people's backs now. No, just the, it's got extra stress risers. It's got now. titanium in it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's strong. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, also, the EWS doesn't require back no. protectors. That's a downhill in France rule. Um, but yeah, it's personal preference. You wear whatever you want and nobody we- can... Do we know if it might also be an enduro in France rule, like uh, for the most recent rounds? I don't think I saw him wearing mm-hmm. back mm. stuff. I can't remember. It could be. There are, it depends on like the, yeah, there's different rules, different places or sports associations. But yeah, protection is a personal choice and you just pick what makes you feel most comfortable and nobody can shame you or not shame you for what you do. 
is how. Oh, I but know. they can. Remember? Oh, when... yeah, people will. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like Rebel Rain phase. You probably should have a full face helmet on, but for other stuff, just choose your level of comfort. <laughs> Next up, we have Glory831 guy. Uh, this topic also begs the question of just how massive are enduro bikes going to get? Uh, is the RockShox boxer stiffer than a Zeb or a Fox 38? And enduro bikes weigh pretty much the same as much as downhill bikes these days, he says. Uh, the new Intense and the Norco DH bikes have pretty steep looking seat tubes. He says they probably pedal just fine. Um, yeah, so what do you think, Kaz? How, how big are these enduro bikes going to get? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I mean, I think that 160, 170 realm is pretty nice for really rough enduro tracks. You go a little less travel for not quite as rough. I mean, I'm sure someone will show up with more travel, but at a certain point, you are just kind of fighting that travel when you're trying to pedal or try to sprint uphill. No matter how efficient it is, it can feel like you're just getting bogged down. So I think there are limits there that you don't necessarily have to adhere to for a downhill bike. So we'll see. But I, I, right now, this 160, 170 zone seems pretty nice. I think what's going to be interesting is where do downhill bikes go as enduro bikes are pushing into this? Does that, and downhill becomes more and more the F1 of, of mountain biking. Does that open up downhill to try? We, I, who decided that 200 mils was, was the check mark for downhill bikes or, or whatever? I don't know. I feel like we're due for some, for some wild experimentation there. All right, and our last question, uh, Pen Gooney, he says, if you're not in the mountain bike industry, Casimir, what would you do? He also says, given that you're from near Hartford, uh, he thinks that you would be either an, an insurance or an attorney. Insurance. Uh, yeah, definitely. I would take that as an insult, Kaz. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Hartford is called the insurance capital of the world. That's where he's getting that from. There's just a ton of insurance agencies in that town. Um, but no, I would definitely not be an insurance salesman or an attorney. I don't even know how to tie a tie, so I don't think I could do those jobs. Um, I'd probably just do something in the ski world, just another action sports kind of thing. What I'd if you couldn't do skis. that? What if you couldn't do any actions, any sport-related things? Uh, I'd just be an English teacher at high school. I like what you said uh, for your part of the question there, Levy. He says, same question to you. Um, I would have guessed Tim Horton's franchise owner or investigative journalist in New York City. <laughs> I am far too lazy to be an investigative journalist. <laughs> I can and see also, doing those, like... if you owned a Tim Horton's franchise, uh, you would definitely eat yourself out of a job. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think that I would end up having like starting my own crazy person YouTube alien channel or something. <laughs> Where I just get really excited and sweaty on camera and scream about aliens. <laughs> I think somebody else already yeah. has that one. Has that yeah. One. <laughs> uh, all right. That's it for the questions. And it brings us to today's topic. It's field test time again. Last time we did cross-country bikes and down-country bikes. We're doing bikes with more travel this time around. Thank God. Uh, I'm on trail bikes. Casimir, you are going to be on enduro bikes. So... Let's talk about what models we have first. And you say trail bikes, but your category is a little more, we'll call it like aggressive trail bikes. Cause I know you hate to think you all, you like to say that all oh, these aren't really trail bikes and what you have, a lot of them aren't. They're just kind of in that in between, between your classic, what you would consider a trail bike and things that push it a little more into more aggressive territory. So, yeah, I know it's silly and I know like the whole classifying thing makes people angry but in my mind you, it makes you angry <laughs> yeah you like that makes me agitated <laughs> this bike is what? too this... good for its category <laughs> oh that's fair <laughs> that is fair kaz 
I guess my point was, is that some of these bikes have 160 millimeter forks and I'm like, is that actually a trail bike? But I mean, it doesn't matter because I've ridden these things and they climb exceptionally well. Um, and they're, you know, incredibly capable, more capable than you would ever expect a trail bike to be. To be, It's just that in my mind, a trail bike is like, you know, like a 130 and a 140 that I want to ride all day, not a one something with a 160 fork that is bigger, but... Does that I guess 20 million to travel make you not want to ride it all day? Especially when they have um, like 135, 140 mil rear ends that are pretty efficient in a pretty efficient pedaling position. For sure. Yeah. No, I get that. It's not just the extra travel. It's just, it's sort of like the mindset and the angle. Looking down and seeing those 36 mil stanchions down, it just yeah. puts you right off. <laughs> just freaks you out. <laughs> yeah. So each of us has five different bikes that we're going to be reviewing and doing all the different things that we usually do with a field test um levy's got the giant trans x pro advanced 29.0 which just rolls off the tongue <laughs> and that bike's 135 mils of travel in the rear 150 up front and it's kind of their you know that is their aggressive trail bike levy yeah this one's interesting because it has fox's live valve on it um a big bike is, for fox's live valve hey it is you know and i th- i I immediately was like, is this the biggest bike that I've, that comes with live valve? So I Googled it and there are a handful of other things out there in that similar kind of travel that have used used live valve in the past. Uh, But in my mind, that is the biggest question over this bike is what is that live valve going to do? We have used Fox's live valve here before. We had it on a pivot here for a field test a couple years ago. Um, Very different set up obviously uh but we didn't really gel with it so we'll it's see struggle, giant it struggled to keep up right yeah exactly so giant has tuned this version of live valve um to better suit the new bike the transx and what they're doing basically is changing the timing of the suspension opening like you know it knows when it's in the air and when the bike's angled down and all that stuff so they can program that stuff uh and they've done that how far down the range does that live valve go uh, it doesn't Oh, so it's just just on the top level. Yeah. And it has the same kinematic as the rest of the line? Yeah. And that's the other thing. In my mind, I think a live valve suspension system would be best suited to a bike, obviously, that is very active. Maybe yeah. specifically designed around that that has more anti-squat, which is not the case. And correct me if I'm wrong, Casimir, I don't think that's ever been the case. No one's ever designed a bike specifically around live valve. Not that I know. For yeah. reasons, you know, that make sense. Um, but also, wouldn't it be neat? What's the next yeah. Grim Donut? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it has no. I don't think lock. we want to do that. <laughs> yeah. You Maybe. Hate lockout levers. You never know. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just got to change batteries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, moving on in your category, we've also got that salsa blackthorn, and that one kind of falls into the one that makes you confused by the 160 fork with the 140 mils of rear travel. Uh, pretty aggressive bike from salsa. Yeah. Again, uh, like you said, that 160 fork, I want to say it gives it a 64 and a half degree head angle. Um, I have ridden this bike. Man, does it pedal well. Um, yeah. And uh, lots of comments. It looks nice. People like it. Yeah. And then, then going down the list, the next one's a little shorter travel. It's also got smaller wheels as that Ibis Mojo 4. We took a look at it earlier in the year. Um, we Now we get to spend a little more time on it and kind of see how it compares against these other bikes. Yeah, I'm really I'm, curious. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Typically, Ibis has made bikes that are use it with that DW suspension. They're relatively speaking, they're a little shorter on the reach and a little steeper on the head angle sometimes. Um, and how they ride has sort of suited uh, where I used to live and some of the you know some of the trails I would like. Um, this new one, 27 five inch wheels still. It's the only 27 five inch wheel bike in the field test. So, and you're we'll see. in your category. Yeah. In my category, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the final one, we hope, well, actually, no, there's still two more. Sorry. The last one that we can talk about is that Active 5P train. That's that high pivot steel Beautiful. frame. Looks super good. It's in the mail. We're hoping it shows up. But it's 135 Beautiful. mil, 150 front, so it kind of fits in really well. I hope Maybe it's that purple front it. end. He's just going to absolutely hate it, but then somehow find a way to like make it good. Just because it's so beautiful. <laughs> so I'm, I've so generally biased. not been a huge fan of those high pivot bikes with the idlers. Part of it is just, I remember idler bikes from the early 2000s, and I don't want any part of that in my life. Um, but I assume and I hope that they're better now. So, yeah. Come on, the Balfa two-step <laughs> was an excellent bike. <laughs> I had a KHS, actually, my buddy Wayne had a KHS Dominatrix. Yeah, that was not Adler. an excellent bike. <laughs> no. That was not yeah. an aerobic shock. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lordy. No. But yeah, regardless, if this P-Train, if it sucks, it is so beautiful that I probably fall in love with it anyway. <laughs> I hope it has an EXT shock on the back, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. They are doing some specs for that, so that could yeah. be cool. Um, and yeah. That last one, Kaz, that we can't talk about, but it's also big news. I just want to tease everybody with that. Can we, can we say travel and wheel size at least? Yeah, it falls into this category. It has less than 140 millimeters of travel and 29 inch wheels. So. It has those. It has uh, seat posts and has a derailleur. Yeah. Fork. It's not a gearbox bike. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> yeah, so it should be a good mix in there. Like, you know, those bikes are different enough. They'll be interesting to compare, but they all do fall in that category of somebody that wants that kind of do it all trail ish bike. Uh, all right, Kaz, let's get on to something a little bigger. You have these down as enduro whatever bikes. Is that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think that's the official category. Well, some yeah. of the bikes I have, you wouldn't really want to race an enduro race on them. Theoretically, you could, but they're kind of not designed for that. But then other ones are definitely more purebred enduro bikes. It's a category that's, I don't know, call it amorphous. It's just not, you know, these bikes have a lot of travel. That's that English teacher country. coming out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big word. You can Google it. <laughs> can you spell it right now, Cass? <laughs> yeah. A-M-O-R-P-H-O-U-S. It's not that big of a word, really. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that means there's not a lot of it's not a clearly delineated there's another big word for you category wow <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna drop wow the, i've been reading some books lately i'm gonna drop some big words <laughs> uh but yeah it's you know all the bikes in this category that i'm gonna be reviewing have a more than 160 millimeters 160 or more rear travel um 170 180 mil fork so mm -hmm. um big smashers but they have different feels out on the trail yeah including that propane spin drift that we talked about earlier that's a big one with that 180 zeb on the front yeah and that could uh, be like you could race that in enduro race that could be your super enduro bike if you want to call get another category name in there you know if you're going to race say something like the whistler ews where more travel doesn't definitely doesn't hurt you in some of those rough stages um yeah so it's gonna be interesting to kind of see how that does on the you know longer straighter stuff and as well as in the tight janky stuff right you also have the new altitude from rocky mountain as well so travel wise what is that at compared to the spin drift yeah it's a little less that one's 160 170 um, we've obviously seen it do pretty well already the ews and it does have more of an easier riding nature to it like you could you could ride it on mellower terrain and it feels like pretty friendly i guess for lack of a better word 
So. Right. And that's very adjustable geometry. And is it mm-hmm. coil sprung or air sprung? No, that one's air. Um, yeah, that's just got the Float X2, but I'm a big fan of the current model of the Float X2. So I've been enjoying that bike so far. And then speaking of new enduro bikes, Trek Slash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another bike that's that? already doing well on EWS. Yeah. So um, it's got a little more travel. It's up to 160 now. It's longer, slacker, all of those things. Wait, it's uh, longer and slacker? I know, so that is that what companies, companies <laughs> yeah. are doing that in 2020? Yeah, it still has a knock block, but it's optional. You can take the knock block off. It's got storage in a down tube, so a lot of cool changes to that bike. Um, and it feels similar but different than the previous version, which I really like the previous version, but this one definitely feel like I can go even faster, so that's good. And then... We tried, to get that, we tried to get that Cavins, but it's not going to be here in time, right? Uh, yeah, we were working on getting the Cavins high pivot, the HP-16, those German Germans that are making a cool-looking uh, aluminum bike, but we'll get the review of that later in the year. But we did try to get that. Um, and then there's two other bikes we can't really talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they've got little wheels, those ones. You have two bikes with little wheels, Kaz. Three. Yeah. Three. Three. Which other Three. ones have... Oh, wait. No, sorry. Two. The Spindrift is big wheels. Never mind. Big wheels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you can get it with little wheels, but I got mm-hmm. the big wheel Spindrift for okay. adults. Yeah. So biased. I can hear somebody <laughs> click clacking away. I know. No. The little wheels, I, I don't have anything against the little wheels. It was funny, though. Over the weekend, I rode two bikes with 27 five-inch wheels and a bike with uh, 29-inch wheels. And I don't notice it as much when I switched to 27.5 from 29. It's pretty easy to get used to. But then when I go back to 29, I feel like that difference is more noticeable for some reason. But Yeah, I think it's the the approach angle. Like my, I feel like my timing is off all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it doesn't take long to get used to either way. But Kaz, what, what would you put as the uh, as sort of the baseline bike for, for this category? Uh, it'll be the Specialized Enduro. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the one that came out last year. It was like kind of set the new bar. Like this is what a 170 bike can pedal like and behave like on the descent so that thing is so impressive casimir yeah so i've still got that enduro here from that last field test that we did and i ride it every now and then it climbs so well it's yeah it's quite the all-rounder yeah yeah it's a trail bike right right levy it's a <laughs> trail bike. 170 mil trail bike yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with your empty swap box yeah, yeah. <laughs> my tube and my seat bag mm-hmm. Oh, I'm upset just thinking about it. <laughs> that's why I do it, Brian. I know. That's why you do it. That's why I'm upset about it. I'm going to find such a good ad read for you for next week. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So this field test is, again, it's going to be a little different than we'd like it to be with the borders closed. Um, we're going to be doing it re- remote, which presents some challenges. I'm going to be doing trail bikes here in Squamish. Kaz, you're going to be doing your enduro whatever bikes in Bellingham. Brian, how how are we doing this gong show? How is this going to work? With a lot of spreadsheets and headaches. Oh, my favorite. Have, yeah. And shipping and ugh. <laughs> no. And yeah, it's certainly not as enjoyable as a regular field test, but we'll get to sleep in our own beds and, and not have to eat quite as much Haribo. Sorry. You can still oh. eat all the Haribo you want. Yeah, I'm still still going to eat the exact same amount daily that I eat. (laughs) But we won't get to have, we won't get to have Ella's amazing pierogies and stuff, which is a bummer. That's true. How, how are we going to do the discussions? How is that going to work, Brad? Uh, Via the magic of the internet. So Kaz is, we're going to do it like our round table in the XC field test? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Can I put the computer with Kaz's head on a mannequin? I'm going to get a mannequin this time around Mm -hmm. and do, do things with it. I will approve that expense. Yep. <laughs> I can't wait. Just dress me up nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're yeah, getting so yeah, you're getting we, full yep. on like 
old school stormtrooper outfit. Yeah, that's what I expect. Yeah. But, yeah, no, either but like way, a yeah, 1999 Jiro Switchblade. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, there are challenges, but luckily Levy and I both live in places that have great riding. And we'll have other riders riding these bikes as well. They might not all be featured in the in the filming. But uh, yeah, we're going to get a bunch of miles on these bikes. Check them out. Lots of laps. Time testing. Efficiency testing. Levy's favorite. Oh, boy. <laughs> and some so we're impossible climbs. Hucks to flat. <laughs> Yeah, it's a field test, so we're going to be doing all the field test things. Um, Huck to Flat is going to be back, of course. I hope we have Jason Lucas again to stand in for that one. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. <laughs> and then we're going to be doing time testing uh, with Free Lap again as well. So we have uh, a lap here picked out, um, fairly challenging lap. And then Casimir has a lap in Bellingham, I assume, that we're going to be putting all the bikes against. Um, and... So yeah, just all the bikes in all the bikes in each category will be tested on against themselves, not against. We're not comparing the enduro bikes against the trail bikes, although that would be interesting. um, It's just not going to happen this time around. Does that mean that Kaz has to do his own efficiency test? No, it means we're shipping all the bikes up here, and you get to do it all up here. Oh, I get to do all the bikes. Yeah, Yeah. you get to do all the all the bikes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, nightmare (laughs) mode. (laughs) Uh And the impossible climbing on some heavy bikes. yeah so it's going to be a pretty wet october coming up here i think and last time around the impossible climb it didn't really people people thought that climb was easy did you read those comments yeah, yeah you got cyber i did yeah. get cyber uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> took my confidence down a few notches there yeah. it didn't on camera it didn't really work but I, in person that climb was super tricky and then the rain came and it was very slippery so we're gonna have to find something uh more challenging than that well we'll just ask jason and co to tilt those cameras a little bit right yeah, yeah. <laughs> just angle them a bit exactly uh-huh. yeah 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 and so we're starting field test it's happening now it takes us a while to get all the riding all the filming all this stuff so you can look for these uh videos and articles that you should probably drop sometime late november maybe december in the future but and we'll let you know we'll keep updating the podcast once in a while if anything strange happens or any good stories from the field testing all right that's it for talking about the fall field test we're going to wrap it up with comment gold this one is from jcz0042 it's to adrian daly dude that is a that is such a bot name (laughs) that is maximum bot name He says, I'm terribly sorry for selecting you as my top male rider in my fantasy. You seem like a nice person and in no way deserve the curse I have placed upon you. Please keep your head up. What is happening today was not your fault, but the fault of someone who cared more about winning an XT drivetrain, the success of a promising young rider. With love and guilt, me. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's beautiful. That yeah. deserves comment gold. Yeah, but That's hey, always he, happens. he did well the week before. Yeah. yeah. All right, everybody, we will see you next podcast. <laughs>